This is the Chamber Chat Podcast, the show dedicated to chamber professionals to spark ideas and to get actionable tips and strategies to better serve your members and community. Hello, Chamber Champions. Welcome to the Chamber Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Burton, and it's my goal here on the podcast to introduce you to people and ideas to better help you serve your chamber members and your community. Our title sponsor is Community Matters, Inc., With nearly 20 years in the chamber industry and over 100 media awards presented to their chamber partners, Community Matters provides the R&R that every chamber needs, revenue and recognition. When it comes to publishing a chamber map, directory, or community guide, Community Matters has the trusted experience to help your chamber accomplish your goals. With different advertising sales models and publication styles, Community Matters will help you create a non-dues revenue machine. Let's hear from Becky Womble, President and CEO of the Bastrop Chamber, to hear about her experience using Community Matters. I've been using Community Matters for probably six or seven years now, and in a previous life, I sold commercial printing, so I can highly recommend Community Matters because it's a complete turnkey job for any busy chamber exec. Um, Basically, you give them a membership list, and from there, they contact your members and It's no high pressure sales or anything. And it really is a complete turnkey job from start to finish. And it's a wonderful, beautiful printed product whenever you're finished. And I just, I'm very sold on Community Matters. And with a printing background, I just, big endorsement for me. To learn how Community Matters can support your chamber with your next publication, please visit communitymattersinc.com slash podcast to request your free media kit and request a proposal to find out what kind of non-dues revenue you can generate. Our guest for this episode is Beth Reinhardt. Beth is the president and CEO of the Bristol Chamber of Commerce, serving both Bristol, Virginia and Bristol, Tennessee. The Bristol, Tennessee, and Virginia Chamber is a five-star accredited organization and has been a leader in economic advocacy since 1909. Prior to joining the Chamber in 2015, Beth spent the previous 10 years as Director of Government Relations for Wellmont Health Systems, building key relationships and overseeing Virginia legislative processes as they applied to hospitals and healthcare. Beth currently serves on the boards for several or local organizations, um, also including the Virginia Association of Chamber of Commerce Executives. Beth is a native of Bristol, Virginia, and earned her BS degree from Mary Washington College, Fredericksburg, Virginia, and Master's of Arts in Teaching and Master's of Science in Counseling degrees from John, Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, and an MBA from King's College in Bristol, Tennessee. She's a 2010 graduate of the Sorensen Institute Political Leadership Program and earned her IOM certification in 2018. She is currently a fellow of the ACCE Foundation Economic Mobility Cohort. She completed a fellowship in the ACCE Education and Talent Development Division in 2019 and recently completed a Business Leads Fellowship with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in 2022. She's a member of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Distinguished Committee of 100, and she recently earned her CCE, being one of only 172 nationwide out of over 7,000 chambers of commerce. But Beth, I'm excited to have you with us today here on Chamber Chat Podcast. I'd love to give you an opportunity to say hello to all the chamber champions who are out there listening and share something interesting about yourself so we can get to know you a little better. 
Well, good morning, Brandon, and thank you for the opportunity to be here with you today. Um, the chamber world is an amazing world to work in and to, to find so many collaborative partners uh, to work alongside. So it's always an honor anytime we can work together, and, and this is a great platform to be able to do that. Um, probably some that would say probably of most interest uh, would be that have no background in um what people would most often think of as a chamber leader. Um, I don't think any of us wake up or grow up thinking, hmm, I'm going to be president of a chamber one day. It's not one of those um, sought after careers that most people even uh, don't always know what a chamber does. So it's one of those evolution careers, in my opinion, where I think the toolkit that you develop and the skills and relationships you build throughout your life lead you along this path. And uh, I encourage anybody who's not a chamber employee to always consider that the the opportunities, the exposure, the growth that you experience because of all the places you touch as a chamber uh, organization. I, I highly encourage anybody to consider that. Yeah, absolutely. So I know, uh, you know, there's some chamber leaders out there where you can look at them and say, man, they were really born to be a chamber leader, you know, chamber executive or CEO. And I uh, and that may be the case, but usually it is an evolution and you kind of grow into it. So you might have been born for it, but you still have to grow into it. So good point well taken. Uh, why don't you share with us a little bit about the Bristol Chamber? Uh, in your bio, we shared the, the uniqueness of you covering Bristol, Tennessee and Bristol, Virginia. So kind of having that uh, literal border through your community. But um, tell us more about the chamber, size, staff, budget, scope of work, just to kind of give us an idea before we get into our discussion. Absolutely. Um, so we are 114 years old this year. We were um, established in May of 1909. We are five-star accredited chamber, which we're extremely proud of. Um, if anyone's gone through an accreditation process, you know how challenging and um uh, grueling that can be, but it's certainly worth um, every minute of time you put into it. We're the oldest accredited chamber in Tennessee and the second oldest in Virginia. Um, we we serve to one community. We say it's one Bristol, but across two state lines. So our downtown historic Main Street, um, which is called State Street, the yellow lines that run down the center of our community, that's the actual state line. So Businesses on one side, um, you can be eating in a restaurant on State Street, looking at folks in a restaurant or bar on the other side of the street, um, and they're in a different state. So pretty unique opportunity um, that has its challenges for sure. Um, you can imagine we have two local governments, two fire departments, two school systems, uh, two police stations, all of the above. So as a chamber, we often become that convener and facilitator for issues that impact the entire community, whether it's uh, the community at large or our business members. But we, you know, that convening role and that collaborative nature that we bring is critically important, I think for all chambers, but especially for a community like ours. Um, we have our budgets around uh, one and a quarter million if you include our foundation side. So we have our chamber side of the house. We also have a foundation that um, owns our facility, but also houses our leadership and education programs, to name just a few. Um, we have seven full-time staff and have about 525 members. All right. So I'm 
I'm curious. I don't know if you've ever you know, looked into it to see how many cities there are across the country where they're literally have the state line going through the middle of the city. Have you ever looked into that or is Bristol one of a kind in that I way? Think we're, I think we are one of a kind in the respect that our, our main thoroughfare in our historic downtown, that those center lines are the state line. I know there are, there are plenty of border communities and um, for example, St. Louis and others that, um, you know, you, you have on both sides of a state line. But I think for us, that downtown um, uniqueness is unique to us. Yeah, absolutely. It is very unique and uh, intriguing just to see, you know, how that works with, like you said, having two local governments and two fire departments and police. It, it just is very interesting to say the least. <laughs> I, I would if I could add one quick thing, um, you know, talking about how times were during COVID, which I hate going back to again, but I think it, it speaks to the uniqueness here. We had two governors, one in Virginia, one in Tennessee, who approached those safety measures and closures very differently. And so for our downtown and our business community, that was um very disruptive. And so we played a large role in, in helping make sure that everyone could continue to be successful and thrive. Uh, when you're looking out, you know, your window at somebody else who's open till two in the morning and, and serving customers and their cash registers are ringing when you're shut down. So it, it brings about some interesting dynamics. Yeah, well, it puts you in a tough spot as a, a chamber leader too, at trying to advocate for those businesses with two different governors and two different approaches, but um, definitely some uh, choppy waters to navigate. <laughs> uh, so as we get ready to uh, kind of dive into our topic for conversation today, we decided to focus our discussion around economic mobility. And I know you guys were recently awarded a grant from ACCE to focus work around economic mobility. And I'm excited to dive in much deeper on this topic as soon as we get back from this quick break. Are you looking for a year-round, affordable, and timely shop local campaign for your chamber or CVB? Look no further. Build a custom Eat Shop Play mobile app with App My Community by visiting appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat. App My Community mobile apps are not just simple membership directory listings. They provide many more capabilities to engage with your community. Provide your residents with a robust events calendar. Partner with a local fair, festival, or farmer's market to provide a schedule, map, and other resources to promote the event. Run a small business Saturday campaign any time of the year using built-in scavenger hunts. Allow your membership to communicate directly to their customers via push notifications. Your App My Community mobile app will be a unique member benefit, allow you to generate non-dues revenue with sponsorship opportunities, and best of all, provide a valuable resource to your community. Please visit appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat now to receive 10% off your first year of an App My Community mobile app. Are you a community leader or chamber of commerce looking to grow your non-dues revenue around your core community? Are you in an area not already served by a chamber of commerce? Look no further than Chamber Nation's new platform, Pippoli. Pippoli is a perfect solution for adding commerce to areas where a chamber may not exist or to expand the reach of a regional chamber. 
With Pipoli, you can easily connect with local businesses and promote your services to a wider audience. Don't miss out on this opportunity to expand your reach and increase your revenue. Visit richardscalendar.com to learn more about Chamber Nation and Pipoli today. The holidays are closer than you think, and now is the time to get ready. Hi, I'm Raquel from Yifty. Yifty offers custom-branded gift cards that can only be redeemed at your local businesses. And in December, we see six months of card sales in just one month. This means that by launching your community card, you'll help generate thousands of dollars for your local businesses this holiday season. Yifty's community card program is free for you and your participating businesses. Join over 500 chambers, main streets, cities, and downtown associations that are using community cards to keep local dollars local. Email sales at yifty.com to learn more. That's sales at yifte.com. All right, Beth, we are back. Um, As I mentioned before the break, we're focusing our discussion today around economic mobility. Um, And maybe before we get too deep into the conversation, I know there's a lot of newcomers into the chamber world and specifically chamber staff who are listening. Um, when we talk about economic mobility, what does that mean to you? What, what is that covering in that scope of work before we go down that path in the discussion? Certainly. And, and my you know very high level definition of that would be it's allowing and supporting and finding ways to promote folks to greater um, greater sustainability both personally and professionally for you know life stability it's it's for example um, if you have low-income workers who by by their own situational um, background and, and current situation, need to find a better way to sustain themselves and their families. Economic mobility means that you're supporting them moving from um, what I'll call not necessarily instability, but maybe a point that's not sustainable to a point of greater um, grounding and funding and sense of self to where they're able to live um, in a manner that that's a good quality of life for them and their families. Right. So maybe tell us a little bit about the, the application process for this grant that I mentioned you guys were awarded from ACCE and kind of what went into that. I know the, the work is specifically around low income earners in the community, but um, what went into that application process and ultimately qualifying you for the grant? Certainly. Um, So a lot of the work that went into this was talking about what we do here from the chamber and in partnership with so many who work in this uh, field, because as we know, we don't do this alone. We are a collaborator and a convener. And so we look to really partnering with a lot of folks, especially being that we serve two different states uh, through the Bristol lens. So I think it's really working to find the data that's available. So we had to do a lot of data mining to find, you know, what's the average and median salaries, uh, what programs are currently in existence, what are we doing as a chamber to really help folks um, find the skills they need to uh, maybe to build that pipeline, find opportunities for people to upskill or reskill and move to different jobs. What jobs are currently available in your community? Where are the skills gaps 
needed to, to be um, supported. So a lot of the work was research and collaboration and finding who those best partners would be to help us throughout this grant process. So writing the grant, of course, um, describing all of the demographics of our community and our greater region, and then goal setting for, um, you know, are we going to get be able to get people across that finish line and how are we going to do that? So you had mentioned goal setting. Um, how do you set goals around this objective of economic mobility? What are some of those key indicators and, and benchmarks to show that you're succeeding in this work? course, and you're, you're asking the toughest questions, because <laughs> that is, it is the toughest question to answer, really, is how do you put a number on how many people you're actually going to get across that finish line? And what defines whether you have been successful, maybe you don't fully cross the finish line, um, if that's a benchmark, or, you know, how do you get people moving in the right direction? And I think a lot of those, those, those key performance indicators for us included, um, you know, how many students are we able to fully engage and I'll call it graduate from some cohort programs. Uh, for example, our Manufacturers Excellence Program, which is a boot camp for high school students to go through in partnership with all of our manufacturers, where they end up with, at the end of that program, exposure to the manufacturing jobs in this community, and also to have a toolkit of things they might need to start on the job once they graduate. For example, steel-toed shoes, protective eyewear, and um, uh, ear protection, things like that. So I think that's one of the ways we look at it, successfully completing programs, how many students have done that. Um, for us, you know, the, the cohort that I ended up in, the grant itself is broken into several um, subgroups. The subgroup that I am in is actually creating a community-wide strategy for how our community collectively and collaboratively um, finds a solution and a path forward. And that was really important. I was uh, really pleased to be able to end up in that group because for us across that state line, that collaborative uh, necessity is really at the top of, of what we need to be working on. So let's talk strategy. Um, you you'd mentioned working with students and exposing them to some of those manufacturing jobs. And I know that would play part into that strategy. And, and you've mentioned these partnerships and collaboration. But as you approach this work, um, I, I mean, are you identifying the individuals that you're going after to try to help improve quality of life? Or are you pre presenting the program that hopefully attracts them and draws them into it? Um, how do you approach it and what does it look like? Uh, great question. And, you know, if we if we go back to the foundation of the group that I'm in, it's really to create the strategy. So we're rather than creating specific programs, um, the identification of programs and uh, the implementation of those programs is part of this. But the most important goal of the committee or the cohort that I'm in is truly creating a strategy for how we as a greater community and region define the pathways for folks to move through economic mobility. Um, so the, really the goal of the work we will be doing is identifying what programs currently exist, where are the, the skills gaps or the, the gaps in the programming, for example, for those, who are all the players that need to be to the table? 
as I mentioned earlier, we don't necessarily do all the work. We are often the facilitator and collaborator for those who do the frontline work. For example, our community colleges and four-year higher education institutions, our K-12, our workforce investment boards, our economic developers, all the folks that that have an impact on um, the population that we're trying to serve. I think our goal is to create a strategy that has a defined pathway from beginning to success. So at what point did you guys jump in with both feet, so to speak, in this work of economic mobility? Is it a, a newer venture? Is it something that's been on your mind and then you know, got more gas to throw on the fire? Uh, How's that developed? Um, it's a little bit of both of those. And I will say that um, this grant and fellowship um, application, it was it was the sweet sauce we've been looking for because it really gives us a focused approach to doing that with the funding attached. And, you know, all of us are, are resource um, limited to some degree. You know, we know what work gets done is the work that's funded. So to have this opportunity of funding by Ascendium through ACCE's foundation was really, um, it couldn't have come at a better time. We've been focusing for a long time in our community on looking at generational poverty that exists. And for our youth, you know, if you have a lot of, of youth in your community who are third and fourth generation poverty um, situational, they may grow up in a family where they've never seen an adult get up and go to work during the day versus uh, living on public assistance. So the key to that mentorship and showing students that pathway, showing our youth that there is a different way and the value of that and, and then how to achieve that is critically important. So that's one piece of it. The other piece, we work very closely with our United Way here and and they're very focused as I know United Ways across the country. If you partner with them, they talk a lot about Alice families, which are asset limited, income constrained and employed. And that breaks down to a lot of families who are living at or below the poverty line or, or in that ballpark anyway. And very often they are working two to three part time jobs to try to pay their bills. And the stress that that creates on families, the, the inability to afford child care that's um, quality child care, you know, access to a lot of the things, health care, insurance. Um, when, when you live in that Alice population, there are many challenges to overcome. And the choices that those families have to make are not choices any of us would want to have to make. So that, that population of folks who have a lot of those struggles are also a target for folks that we want to try to move to that at um, average or above salary, which uh, for our community means you're able to sustain your family. So there are going to be a lot of different approaches we look at. And I have to you know, give a little disclaimer too. We just started this. So we're literally fresh on the heels. We just got our award letter in the last month. We've had our first uh, kickoff meeting as a cohort, there's 11 of us from around the country who were selected for this project. And so it was um, beautiful to be able to, to receive that letter and to know that we get to participate in this. 
So it is very fresh on the front lines of this. So we have a lot of work to do and I don't have a lot of the details of what this will look like at the end, but I can tell you that we're committed and excited to get to work. Yeah. Now I'd love the idea of helping to create a vision, especially with these youth that don't have that example to look to of what their real potential can be and what they can do as, you know, career and to be able to support a family instead of, you know, living off of assistance, like you mentioned. But, um, I see it right now in my own son, you know, he's finishing his junior year right now as he's looking to college and everything. And, and just some of the limiting factors in a, a vision that an individual youth has for themselves is so, you know, biased really on what they've seen and they they've lived a short life up to that point. And if they haven't been exposed to different opportunities or know that some of these opportunities exist, they're going to be in that same rut as, as some of their predecessors. Um, it still blows me away sometimes when you hear, you know, somebody being the first generation college graduate in their family. I mean, it makes me smile every time I hear it, but it blows me away that you still hear it as often as you do. And uh, helping to create that vision, I think, is, is instrumental in helping people realize their potential and moving forward. So uh, hopefully you guys have some innovative ways that you can roll that out as the program develops. Um, I'd like to, to give you an opportunity for anybody out there listening who is interested in taking their chamber up to the next level. Um, what tip or strategy might you offer for them? Um, I think, you know, for us here, I can speak to my experiences here. Um, one is make sure that you have an extremely engaged and supportive board. I am so blessed here to have um, that opportunity. You know, we have, that doesn't mean we always agree 100% on everything we're working on, but I, I think having your board engaged to where they understand what you're trying to do, they can provide that uh, fiscal oversight and that strategic vision to help you move your organization forward so you're creating the greatest benefit and value to those members. I think that's a really key part. And that there's a lot of intentionality around that. It's an, there's intentionality around having diversity around the board table. There's intentionality around how you, as um, a director of your organization, how you engage them. And I think building a very strong, trusting relationship is critically important. I overtell if there is such a thing. I always uh, make sure that my board members know more than they need to know, really, um, if there is such a thing, so that they're never blindsided, but that they know the good, the bad, and the ugly, because that's how we all get better in what we're doing. And uh, when you feel like you have to hide something, it never leads to a good place. So I would just encourage you, if you have challenging things you're working on, bring your board in, let them help you. Right. You'd never want your board to be surprised by anything that you're doing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, well, as we look to the future of Chambers of Commerce, how do you see the future of Chambers and their purpose going forward? I would say, and it's something we've worked really hard on, um, moving from the traditional membership model into a tiered investment model, I think is critical. And the reason it's critical, it's not just about those investment dollars. It's really being very mission focused in how you are delivering benefit and value to your members. So I encourage you, if you haven't looked at that, 
please do so. There are so many folks in the chamber world who have gone through it or working on it. There are consultants that are great partners to chambers who can help you navigate that, um, but also lean on each other. There are a lot of people, as I say, who who are happy to share and uh, really help all of us become better at the end of the day. I think that's important, but I think, um, you know, a, another important piece is advocacy. I firmly believe that government relations um, advocacy as a business leader uh, focused community is also one of the greatest values you can provide to your members and to the larger community and region. I think folks need to know how to do that. They need to know what the pressing issues are, how to resolve those, and they need that connectivity to the elected members at your local, state, and federal levels to help you. So I encourage you to look to those areas as really your greatest resources and I think value to membership. Absolutely. I think those are two great, uh, I don't want to say tips, but it's part of that vision of the future of Chambers is to, if you haven't already explored the idea of going over to a tiered dues model for your membership, there's there's a lot of businesses out there who are willing to pay more than what they are being asked to with the traditional membership model because they see the work that you're doing in areas such as advocacy and they see the value that you provide to the business community and really just community building in general and they want to be a part of it. So I, I would agree with that part of the vision and, uh, and really having a focus there. But Beth, as we wrap up here, I wanted to give you an opportunity to share any contact information for listeners who would like to reach out and connect with you and learn more about things you're doing in Bristol or about the discussion that we covered today with economic mobility. What would be the best way for someone to reach out and connect with you? Of course, and I, I welcome any outreach and hope that um, whatever we do here, if it can be of value to anyone, um, my door is always open. My phone is always uh, available to be answered. So I've, I've been blessed with a lot of people who have done that for me. So uh, my email is, um, as in Beth Reinhardt, it's breinhardt at bristolchamber.org. And my phone number is 423-989-4850. And our mailing address is 20 Volunteer Parkway, Bristol, Tennessee, 37620. And more importantly, come and visit us. We Our doors always open. Um, we would love to have anyone. If you're ever traveling through our area, please stop and say hello. Absolutely. And I will get that in our show notes for this episode so listeners can go and, and check it out and connect with you. But I appreciate you being with us today on Chamber Chat Podcast and putting out there your experience so far around economic mobility and, and the, the work you're venturing into with it. I think it is, is such an important topic and for every community to really see those areas to really uplift and bring you know everybody to a higher level in their community as far as their living standards and economic status goes. So thank you for, for sharing that with us and being with us on the podcast today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Love what you're doing. <laughs> if you are a chamber professional, please subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. When you subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast, new episodes will show up in your podcast app each week as they are released. If you're finding value in this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review in iTunes. But most importantly, please share Chamber Chat Podcast with your colleagues that are in the industry.
Have you ever thought about creating a podcast for your chamber? We always hear about how chambers need to be storytellers. What better way is there to tell the stories of your members and the work of your chamber than through a podcast? Your audience is waiting to hear from you as a convener of leaders and influencers, champion for business, and catalyst for change within your community. I just launched a chamber podcast course with the goal to get your very own podcast started within 30 days. Visit chamberchatpodcast.com slash pivot to learn more and to enroll in the Chamber Podcast course today.